is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks so very much for tuning in. And tonight's first five, I want to tell you something that happened over the weekend. It was kind of amazing. I had the opportunity to meet with these, this couple who have escaped Venezuela. They actually left Venezuela long ago. And I was we had a very lengthy interview for some upcoming things I'm doing. And they kept making the reference to the idea, we have to fight leftism. Their goal in America, what they work on so much, is trying to get support for Venezuela, for the people of Venezuela, but also fighting leftism. And it gave me a kind of renewed commitment to try to talk again with you about what the battles are about in America, because the political battles, because sometimes we get lost in thinking it's just Democrat versus Republican or liberal versus conservative. But really, the battle we are watching in America, all the turmoil we've seen in America, all of the battle over the border, um, much of the racial tension, the battle really is leftism versus America. It is the idea. Are we going to hold on to the idea of America or surrender to the relentless, ongoing mob that is leftism in America? And I want to just tell you what I mean by that term. You know, the um, leftist term obviously is you know associated with the uh, liberal, the Democrat side. But I'm going to read you a statement by American labor organizer, former general secretary of the United States Communist Party from 1932. When he said, he wrote, the proletarian revolution in the United States will at once make a devastating slash into this maze of hypocrisy and intellectual rubbish. Not less than the Soviet Union, it will usher in a profound cultural revolution. Education will be revolutionized, being cleansed of religious, patriotic, and other features of the bourgeois ideology. Students will be taught the basis of Marxian, dialectical materialism, internationalism, and the general ethics of the new socialist society. That guy said this in 1932. And folks, the American left today is just the ongoing battle to to do to seek to try to do exactly what this guy was talking about in 1932 and you know it's funny because in America we get into this election cycle and I'm into it I'm I'm always supporting candidates and trying to point out the weaknesses of some candidates but in America the conservative side seems to focus on an election we have an election coming up we pick a good candidate we hit our three bullet points we go out and talk about them the, the leftist mentality, which is the socialist mentality, socialist slash communist leftist mentality, is playing the long game. They've been playing the long game in America for 80 years or more. And it is only recently that a lot of us kind of woke up and recognized what the American left had accomplished in America already. The overtaking of the public schools. Kids, and we're going to talk about things tonight that are taught in public schools that will just make you I don't even know what you'll do. Flip. I mean, they're just, you can't believe it's happening in America, but the public schools, the universities, the overwhelming socialism in most political science departments in America's universities, the news media, the ethnic community leaders, the uh, arguments against the goodness of America, the, the mocking and derision of the idea of America. Our courts have been taken over by leftists. Popular entertainment has. Discussion of environmental policy. Leftism has had the long game policy level attack on America. 
and the right is just kind of catching up at it. And we have and understand the left is not trying to govern. They're trying to rule. The idea of leftism and socialism is always to control you, to control the individual. It is not to govern according to the Constitution of America. And if you're just tuning in, I'm going to tell you everything I talk about is you can go to, uh, there's a great article I was uh, talking from in part here. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, this article is up. But the other big aspect that is shaping America, and I would just say, we see things happen. We see things happen in America, and we step back and we say, that is so amazing. Why are all these people protesting? Why, is there, why is there, are these riots going on? Why is there such confusion and anger at the border? Why is there a notion that immigrants are in, instantly entitled to citizenship? Well, the other huge factor, an interwoven factor, beyond just the relentless, and will never end for all of time and all of eternity, push by the American left to take away liberty is the most organized aspect of it is money coming from George Soros. And, you know, I talk about him a lot, but I'm going to be talking about him even more in the upcoming weeks and months because it's necessary to understand. I think that good-hearted Americans, hardworking, good-hearted American people look at things happening and they think, gosh, everybody's so upset. Why? I mean, maybe I missed something. Maybe I'm ignorant because if these other Americans are just protesting and, and decrying America, maybe I'm the one that doesn't understand. But you're not. We are watching. We're being orchestrated. It's like the Wizard of Oz behind the screen pulling our strings George Soros, billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are being used, spread around in organizations and hundreds and hundreds of organizations with happy sounding names in order to change educational content in America, to push the transgender agenda, to push drug legalization, to push abortion and euthanasia, to push an open borders mentality, to push the flow of Islamic refugees into America and other places and like Western Europe. We are what we are being manipulated by George Soros and the organizations he funds. And folks, we have to be smart enough to say no. America is a good, noble country, which is what my show is dedicated to talking about. We have to recognize when we're being played and don't get played anymore. Debbie George S. America Can We Talk? Come right back. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. 
At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. My first five tonight, I was talking about being more informed recipients of news, more discerning, not just thinking. If you see something in the news, it probably is about a protest, about how angry other Americans are, that there, this, is, this is an organic, um, you know, genuine opposition to um, something that's happening. More likely than not, it is paid for anger paid for by the Soros team. And the broader thing I'm trying to hit home with tonight is either leftism or America. You can't have both. Leftism will destroy America. I'll give you one little example from Rush Limbaugh before I turn to this story of the caravan making its way through, has made its way through Mexico and hitting the southern border in America. But on Rush Limbaugh, 
you might recognize or remember that when he, you know, he's on radio, he says things, uh, he says a lot of things, and, and he's, a, you know, just an icon. He is listened to, uh, I know many people will say when some big event happens, oh, I want to hear what Rush thinks about this. Well, Rush Limbaugh speaks his mind, and so he gets these leftists infuriated. And the reason in part is because in general, left-wing America controls most media. They control, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, every newspaper in America, except a very tiny handful of conservative ones. They control ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN. So the outlets for conservatism are limited. And this is one reason that talk radio has taken off. One reason Rush Limbaugh was so popular is because he can go right to the people and say what he thinks. Like it or not, he can say what he thinks. So he's made these leftists in this country who think they are only they're the only ones who get to shape the narrative, shape what we think. And so when Limbaugh became popular, numerous groups sprang up, you know, Hush Rush. I can't remember the name of all they're just, you know, stupid names they had. But they tried very hard to drive him off of the air. Another sign of a leftist is the notion that they cannot tolerate diversity of opinion. Only their viewpoint can be heard. They can't have people thinking. That's their problem. They can't even have people thinking. So Limbaugh started to get attacked by some of these leftists who were essentially saying that they were going to attack the advertisers. And they began a campaign of uh, getting to groups who were advertising at Limbaugh's radio show and trying to say, you know, millions of Americans are outraged and they were, were so angry and then America's going to rise up against you. And if you don't, if you keep on advertising on Rush Limbaugh, you know, you're toast. Your company's going to fold because America's had enough of this. Well, fortunately for Rush Limbaugh, he has enough money to hire someone, hire a specific person, Brian Glicklich. Um, I believe that's how you say it, Glicklich, uh, who is a digital forensics expert. And he dove in to the Twitter mob trying to attack uh, Rush Limbaugh trying to make it seem like Limbaugh was, you know, just just um, the villain of America, that no one agreed with him, that businesses would go under if they supported him. And because this guy could actually dive in to the Twitter world, dive into the social media tax on Limbaugh, he came up with, and as I say, because Limbaugh couldn't afford to pay for this kind of research, there were 10 people, 10 people producing 70% of all of the tweets that were attacking the businesses for advertising on Limbaugh's show. And I'm telling you, it's such a great thing to keep in mind. Ten people portraying themselves as millions of Americans. Fake identities, fake you know, Twitter things, on and on and on. And I'm making this point to say, this is true of so many things in this country. America is still filled with good and noble people. And so when you read things that just seem so egregious, so outrageous, it's probably the left-wing whack job, 10% of America, that we don't have to listen to. But we get pushed around on our side. Conservatives get pushed around. The left uses all the tactics you've all heard about, the Saulinski tactics, the silencing you if you dare speak up. And those tactics include mocking people. You know, Limbaugh, they mock, and he doesn't really care. They try to shut him down. They couldn't accomplish that. But they mock anyone who dares to speak up. And the political correctness has says that rules now that make people feel like, I don't even dare speak up in my church, in my neighbor, to my neighbors 
at my kid's school and my, you know, whatever your social things are. The left has tried to make it so you can't even say what's true in your social circles because you might be mocked. So I wanted to lay all that groundwork to say, do not believe when you hear things in the media, you just cannot believe that's what Americans think. That can't be true. You're probably right. And we are in this country have been led to the left. I will tell you, the left has worked for 80 years plus to destroy this experiment in liberty. It, their, their battle against America will never end. And today where we are in America is Barack Obama for eight years, the most radical leftist ever elected to the presidency of this country, led this country as far left as he could. And the liberals had they just were convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to win the 2016 presidential election and she would continue dragging this country down into the liberal communist muck that they are, that they want. And they, this is why we're going to get to the Mueller investigation and all the amazing stories that happened this week, though. The judge and the, uh, Judge Ellis, who was at the Manafort hearing, fabulous things came out. Uh, and also this uh, Michael Cohen, who uh, told the Democrats uh, on the Senate Intelligence Committee what he thought of them. Great stories, because what you're seeing is the mob in Washington, the leftist mob, also known as Deep State, could cannot believe that they don't have Hillary and their left-wing allies in charge anymore. They can't believe the American people dared to stand up and elect someone who loves this country. That's what they can't believe. But I want to hit Cricket in the caravan story because I know you've been seeing it all week and this, you know, these, this caravan showed up at the southern border and they are people who are, are dying to get into America. We have asylum laws in this country. I'm just going to hit three quick points. Really important when your friends say, isn't it a terrible thing or we're being so mean? How come we don't let these people who want asylum all just come here? Let me just tell you a few things. Asylum, the law about asylum is different from refugees in that asylum law says you have to already be in the country. Asylum is the legal provision when you've already arrived here and you're telling the government, I have to, I have to stay. And the standard for asylum, it is not anyone who just makes it here gets to stay, but the standard for asylum law is, it's in Section 208 of the Immigration and Nationality Act. It says the person seeking asylum must establish that race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group, or political opinion was or will be at least one central reason for persecuting. You have to show an immediate credible fear of being persecuted where you are. During the Obama eight years, anything goes. Asylum was just kind of, you came here and he got to get processed. But President Trump has a a vehicle available to him. He can send down, and he's doing this, send agents down to the border and they can have an immediate credible fear interview. It's a one-on-one, you tell me, Mr. Seeking Asylum, who you, why you're here. What is the reason you think you need to come here? What is, which one of these criteria do you meet? And we don't have to let them stay just because they arrived. And the reason I'm telling you this is this whole presentation of this group at the border, this is not, this is a George Soros bought, paid for, manipulated invasion. This is not people truly destitute showing up at the border. This is a George Soros bought and paid for. I'll tell you numerous things that, that just you, you, you won't believe what I'm about to tell you. Number one is these people are making their way up through Mexico, much closer for them to come to the southern border of Texas and try to cross in Texas, but they didn't. They went a thousand miles out of their way to cross into the California border. Do you know why? 
Because what federal circuit court is in California? The Ninth Circuit. The we don't follow the Constitution, we're big liberals and we don't follow the law. Federal appellate court, the Ninth Circuit. Coming in through Texas, all these appeals would have to go in the Texas federal circuit court, the Fifth Circuit. Actually, maybe more likely to apply actual asylum law to these people. So the first thing is to know these are these are not ignorant. I mean, maybe they are not particularly well educated. It's a bought and paid for movement, bought and paid for by organizations funded by George Soros. Uh, the overarching group is called Pueblos and Fronteros, People Without Borders. They basically are their statement. This group supporting these people coming across the border is here is their statement from March 23rd of what they're doing. We are a group of people from different nations, religions, genders, gender expressions, and sexual orientations migrating and seeking refuge. We seek to become one collective, supporting each other shoulder to shoulder and demonstrating that by uniting, we can abolish borders. Understand, this is an invasion, not a caravan. This is Soros-funded groups. I could read you the names of them, but I'm running out of time if I do that. Read you the names of them to tell you we need to be able to say, you know, if they don't meet our asylum standards, you don't meet the law, and therefore you can't stay. You have to go home. And if we don't do that, if we let this stunt get, if they win doing this stunt, the answer is we'll have thousands and thousands and thousands of more doing this. We have to stand up for America. Okay, we got to zip off to break here, but coming back and changing this topic, we have joining us in the next segment, Peter Brooks, senior fellow from the Heritage Foundation. Love, love, love having him on. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Iranian nuclear program. Don't go away. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org. 
or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Love that you've tuned in. Thank you so very much. I'm Debbie Georgettis. This is America Can We Talk. And we have online a guest I mentioned before the break. We have Peter Brooks, and he is a senior fellow with the Heritage Foundation on National Security Affairs. And he has a long and wonderful resume, but I don't want to spend a lot of time reading it because I'd rather be talking to him. So hi, Peter. Hi. So glad you could join me. Um, I'll tell you a funny thing, listeners. I, I substitute hosted in somebody else's um, show on Point of View on Thursday and interviewed Peter that day, too. So this is our second time. But tonight, what I want to talk about is Iran. And, you know, America and the world really watched uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and his speech this past Friday, kind of outlining that Iran apparently lied to a great extent about the, what they were doing with their nuclear um, development that they were actually trying to pursue the development of nuclear weapons, and Iran had and uh, the Israelis had apparently secreted themselves into Iran and and left with a very large volume of documents and other proof of uh, Iran's nuclear program. So, given that, I would love to know, Peter, if you can tell our, tell us. What should America do in response? Should we, for example, should we drop out of, announce we're no longer um, part of the um, Iran deal? Well, I'm going to leave that up to the president, and he's going to make a decision uh, pretty uh, pretty soon, a self-imposed deadline on on May 12th. Uh, So we'll know. 
Um, I, and I think that the, the course of action that the president is pursuing right now in terms of trying to get to the Iranians back to the table uh, to fix this deal, uh, there's several issues that are, that are outstanding that need to be uh, addressed. It's a comprehensive deal. Some of the things are that during verification procedures, we're not allowed to visit military sites. And of course, if I had a nuclear weapons program, that's, and I was trying to hide it, that's where I would put it since it's a military program. Uh, it allows them to do advanced centrifuge work, which uh, means that they will, after the agreement ends uh, in 10 to 15 years, Iran will be more capable in terms of enriching uranium, which could mean to weapons grade level as well. Uh, the the, as I just mentioned, the deal sunsets uh, after about 2025. The Iranians are allowed to do whatever they want with their nuclear program. Uh, so it, it only pauses a potential nuclear weapons program. Uh, and, of course, it doesn't address ballistic missiles. And Iran is causing all sorts of trouble around the world. I mean, a lot of people thought, I think the Obama administration, I don't want to speak for them, but it's my sense that uh, they thought that this agreement, uh, which was historic in its own right, even though it was it, well-intentioned, but it had shortcomings, they thought that it would moderate uh, Iranian behavior, their international behavior. We've long said Iran is the most active state sponsor of terrorism in the world. That That has crossed administrations. That's not just a Republican or Democratic view. It's been a Republican and Democratic view yeah. uh, for a long time. They're involved in Syria. They're involved in Yemen. So the president is, is putting pressure on Iran to come back to the table uh, to talk about this, or he may leave the, uh, leave the agreement. So the pressure to put, uh, bring Iran back to the table, all those points are great ones that we need. We were viewed as shortcomings of the, of the original Iran uh, deal. Um, and the JCPOA was the official name, uh, acronym. But so if Iran, um, first of all, if he wants to do this, doesn't he, President Trump, need to try to get the other parties to the deal, the Security Council plus Germany countries to the table, too? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if you looked at the agreement, uh, it was basically a U.S.-Iranian negotiation. John Kerry led the U.S. side, and he was dealing with the Iranian foreign minister, Zarif. Uh, the others were there to support it the P5 plus one, which is the Permanent Security Council members, uh, U.S., China, Russia, France, and Britain, plus Germany. It's kind of been expanded to conclude the EU, but Germany was really the was that party, and Iran. But the U.S. was doing all the negotiating. Uh, the others were, you know, bystanders, supporters, uh, would have to sign off on it in the end. And then, of course, it wasn't a U.N. deal. The U.N. ratified it, agreed to it. But it wasn't a U.N. deal. It was basically between the U.S. and Iran. So if the, the others um, have and you've seen a, a parade of European leaders come to Washington last week, uh, Macron of France and Merkel of Germany, uh, to talk to the president about the deal. We're not hearing much from the Russians or Chinese on this, uh, but they feel very strong. In fact, I think today Boris Johnson, who's the British foreign minister, has an an op-ed out in one of the major U.S. papers is saying that we should stay in a deal, that it's a bad deal, but it's the best deal we have at the moment. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, and every, each side has their interests and each side has their motivations for staying in it or, or getting out of it. Uh, what would President and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu did last week was he, he noted that Iran was lying all along, but of course we knew that. 
Iran had for many years said that they this was only a first of all it was a covert clandestine program they never admitted that they had one it was discovered uh, by outside sources and they were called on it uh, they had been violating the nuclear non-proliferation treaty a UN treaty that says you can pursue peaceful nuclear power but not nuclear weapons for 20 some years yep then of course they went into this agreement saying well it was just for you know power purposes and they never admitted they had a nuclear weapons program and of course the uh, Israelis uh, ripped the uh, facade off of, uh, of that claim by the Iranians. But the important thing, Debbie, is that nobody has said that they're currently cheating on the agreement. Uh, Netanyahu did that. I did a, I've talked to a lot of media outlets and people are saying, well, Netanyahu said that they were cheating. No, no, he didn't say they were currently cheating. He said they lied going into the agreement, and here's the proof. But we already knew that because that's why we, we sat down to negotiate with them, because we we knew they we're uh, developing a nuclear weapons program. So what are our choices if either Iran won't come to the table or Iran comes to the table and won't agree to any of these changes? I mean, at some point, are we... And they also want to be sure to mention, there is that one provision uh, in the... Uh, this is the Iran deal, the JCPOA, that Article 10, Annex 3, essentially says we, America, have to defend Iran if any party were to attack Iran's nuclear, well, they're, they claim for nuclear energy, but I mean, everyone I think is concerned mostly that Israel will be the one, the likely one to attack Iran. Don't we want to get out of that commitment also? Uh, I, you got to look at that more closely. I think you're misreading that. Okay. Uh, this is talking about, uh, you know, nuclear sabotage. Uh, this is talking about, you know, a terrorist attack. I mean, anybody who has a nuclear program has to be concerned about safety. This is more nuclear safeguards, that the, this sort of material doesn't fall into the wrong hands, uh, that terrorists don't get their hands on it. It's not talking about defending them against uh, another party, uh, such as Israel, if Israel decided to take military action against Iran. And I think they would only take military action against Iran if they thought Iran was cheating on it or moving closer towards a nuclear weapon under this under this agreement. They may or may not consult with the United States because of concerns for operational security. But uh, that what you're saying there in that section you mentioned to me uh, is that's not defending Iran against outside attackers. That's basically worried about nuclear sabotage, uh, terrorists getting their hands on it, things along this line, just like at our nuclear facilities. We want to make sure that somebody who doesn't want to create a dirty bomb can't get a hold of uh, nuclear materials and, and whisk that away from a, from a nuclear site, uh, a nuclear reactor site. So that's, that's what that's about. That's my reading of that. It's not, it's not quite uh, what you're, as you're, as you're framing it. Okay. So you are saying you don't think that the way this is written, if, if Israel were to uh, directly attack Iran's nuclear um, facility, where they're claiming it's for energy, and, and we think, and Iran and Israel saying no, it's for nuclear weapons. You don't think that provision obligates us to defend Iran? Uh, we're, we're not going to fight with Israel. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> amen to that. Right. That's just, yeah. Right. That's not. We would never. Even even the previous administration wouldn't agree to that. Uh, and Israelis have, uh, to my knowledge, have never brought that up as an issue. That, like I said, to my knowledge. Uh, publicly, they would they would have been horrified by that if that were the case. So that's not my reading of that. It's a nuclear safeguards issue, uh, and worrying that any of Iran's uh, materials could fall into the could fall into the wrong hands, or uh, you know, their terrorist group, or you know, somebody else, criminals uh, along this line. That any nuclear program that Iran has, that they need to they need to safeguard. And it appeared to me from reading that that 
we're willing to help them with that because we don't want those sort of materials. It's not to facilitate or advance their nuclear weapons program, but if you're going to have a peaceful program, uh, you know, peaceful energy program, yeah. uh, which is authorized. I mean, internationally, you're allowed to have produce electricity from nuclear power. Uh, then we want to make sure, considering where they are in the world, the Middle East, the, the challenge of terrorism, that we wouldn't want any of those sort of materials to fall into the wrong hands. Okay. I'm so, I will tell you on, anyway, I'm very glad to hear that, um, what you said about that. I have um, read other things by other people writing about it, which is why I got concerned about it. I'm glad to hear your view. And Peter Brooks, this is, as happens always on radio, there's uh, more topics than time. I really want to thank you so much for joining me tonight in America Can We Talk and for your, uh, your insights and expertise on Iran. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, folks, we're going to zip off again to a break. And when we're back, we're going to turn to someone who's in studio with me, Emil Amani, Iranian native, who's going to talk to us about Iran from the inside. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org. 
and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. I'm going to remember this time to say before the end of our first hour, I want to thank our Phoenix listeners. I know that the second hour of the show is not on in Phoenix. Thank you so very much for listening. I hope that you are listening tonight in Phoenix and um, on 960 AM. And you can go now to your Facebook page and watch the rest of the show, the second hour on Facebook Live. Thank you to Phoenix. Love talking to Colorado Springs and Dallas listeners. We are here ready to roll. And I have in studio, as I mentioned, Emil Imani. And he is a friend. He is a uh, friend here in Dallas. And he grew up in Iran. I was just getting a few more details about his life um, before we came on air. But uh, he's an Iranian native. He's um, an American Christian now. Uh, He's very outspoken. He's a prolific writer. Um, he's a poet, a satirist, a novelist, essayist. He's a writer, and um, he's has a lot of insights about Iran from the inside, from having friends in Iran and uh, and family in Iran. So, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much for having me, Debbie. Okay. Um, and Emil, I want to just jump in. So we just were talking with Peter Brooks, and obviously the world is kind of swirling with the news that uh, the Israelis apparently managed to remove information, uh, tons of information from Iran, showing that indeed the um, Iranian government was, or military and government were pursuing the development of nuclear weapons, which they always denied that they were doing. But the first thing I want to ask you, so I read some commentary saying, well, you know, that because Israel made this big speech and they embarrassed the Iranians and now there's kind of talk from Washington that maybe, you know, America might withdraw from this JC, the Iranian deal, that the Iranian people would be angry with America. They'd feel offended by America and Israel for embarrassing the Iranian um, government. So what do you think? How are the Iranian Uh, people going to (laughs) react? Actually, uh, Iranian people are going to be very happy the Iranian people despise the mullahs. They don't even think the mullahs are the legitimate leaders and they do not represent Iranian people. And in fact, they would be more than happy 
if uh, Donald Trump to withdraw from this and it goes after the mullahs and do the same. They're willing to take the sanctions temporarily to hardship as long as the end the regime of the mullahs. So, no, I think Iranians actually would be very happy at anything that would make the, the life hard and for the mullahs in Iran. They would be very happy. Would we'll make the people happy. Well, well, actually, that kind of ties into, I think I talked to you back when, um, you know, the, the Iranian people have been protesting against the mullahs for on and off for quite a while. And I know back... Um, and I, I, th- I had it in my head, it was January of 2018, maybe end of mm-hmm. 2017, but the Iranian people are protesting against the repressive Islamic regime that the mullahs have in place. But how widespread is it? Is it just a small group or is it, what's your sense of it from your contacts in Iran? You know, uh, when, um, supposedly when we made, they made the nuclear deal, that was supposed to help them economically. They got $150 billion. Yeah. And then guess where the money went? Hezbollah, any proxy uh, that Islamic Republic supports, Syria, uh, and other uh, terrorist organizations around the world. So Iranian people left, they're hungry. Honestly, this is a rich country. As in physically hungry. Yeah, physically hungry. Um, I mean, things I can't even say that I've never seen. It's, it's hard to say that the, such a rich culture, a rich nation, that people have to go through this. And... Uh, the, the money from the oil, everything comes here. People don't even see that. They don't even see a, a single money comes on the, the table. They don't have anything to eat. So what happens to this money goes for terrorism, as supports of the other, uh, uh, you know, like Hezbollah and other uh, sects around the, around the world, So except the people of Iran. So the protest has started coming out because we don't have anything. There's no water. There's a shortage of water. There's no food. So people came out. It was a sporadic. It came all over the country from the smallest. It's a completely different than last time, the Green Revolution, which was more. When was that again? Green Revolution was back in. It was 2009. It okay. started June 20th, actually. And that was more in Tehran. Three million people came out during the, uh, President Obama's uh, presidency. And they, they actually, three million people were shouting, Obama, Obama, are you with us? Or with them, meaning the regime. The mullahs. And right. then Obama came out after playing golf. And for one week, he even ignored there was a revolution going on in Iran. Came out and says, we're not meddling inside and we're standing with the, basically with the mullahs. And they emboldened the mullahs. They massacred right after that. Tens oh. of thousands of Iranians were massacred because of what Obama said. did not support the freedom love in Iranian people. And this is, this is the continuation of that green movement, what we see right now, it never ended. We started, there was a revolution in 1978, and that is supposed to, you know, people have revolutions and then go back and become better after a few years. But this is a 40 years nonstop revolution enforcing Islam into the life of people on a 24-hour basis. Women cannot wear this. I mean, Iranians were very westernized. Completely, this is all force. Go so ahead. the Iranians were kind of westernized under the Shah, you're Absolutely, saying? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so then the revolution happened. He was out in, I think, February 79, something like that. The Shah was out. And so those people in Iran who'd lived a more or less Western free style mm-hmm. had Islam imposed on them once the revolution occurred. And, uh, yes. The overthrow of Shah. Go ahead. 
during the Shah, Iranians did not even know what Islam was. Honest to God, they did not even know the nature of Islam itself. They had fantasized something, and they were believing in something. They thought it was a good thing. They had never. Most Iranians would open the book of Quran only two times a year. One time a person gets married. The second time when someone dies. Other than that, they never read. We don't speak Arabic. We don't read. This is not our religion. This is was in, imposed on us by the Arabs, on fourteen hundred years ago. And now we we live to tell this moment we're about to end this, hopefully for good, from Iran. You know, you mentioned before and other times, and I I will tell our listeners um, everywhere in Dallas and Colorado Springs and Phoenix, you know, that I see uh, Amir Lamani at various functions that we've interacted in in various (laughs) political ways in Dallas. And you've mentioned that there's actual rising of Christianity in Iran, even under the mullahs. How's that even happening? Well, you know, as I said earlier, Islam has brought darkness into the lives of Iranian people. And Christianity is the opposite, is the light. Christianity, especially Jesus Christ. And, and you, people can go ahead and Google this. Uh, Christianity is the fastest growing religion in Iran, outside of in the world is in Iran right now. It's amazing. People underground, through their cell phones, find each other, hold hands, and hallelujah, Jesus. And then it's amazing. And... Uh, my friend, Dr. Hormuz Shariati, who lives in Dallas, has his own Iran Live, and he speaks uh, directly to Iranian people uh, about Christianity. Uh, millions of people. You mean, into, mean via on YouTube, or how does he do this? He so, has a similar situ- thing that you have right here, like radio, 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 radio ministry okay. live in okay. Iran. Uh, I don't know how often he, but he broadcasts live in Iran, and he's very, very popular. They call him uh, Graham of Iran. He's, he's so popular that most Iranians have, you know, we humans have to have faith. You know, we cannot live without faith. Iranians have been cheated with Islam because Islam is, not, is, a, is a violent, is, the Iranian temperament is love, poetry. Like, you know me, when I said when I'm a poet, I was born a boy. And I say all Iranians are. They love to write, they love poetry, they love beauty. Islam is completely opposite of the Iranian temperament. And that's why Christianity comes along. That's why love and Jesus is love. Jesus is given. And that's why majority Iranians, believe it or not, I would say more than 30 to 40 percent of Persians at the moment are going towards Christianity. Wow. Somewhere in the range in your view. And you're connected with people over there and following the situation yes. closely. 30 to 40 percent of the citizens of Iran currently, currently, yes. are, are, are just currently are drawn to Christianity or are studying it or in some way joining yes, Christianity. Yes. And so this must drive the mullahs crazy. And you know, they still have, I'm pretty sure in Iran, they still have the required hijab for the woman, the required headdress. I mean, it's a very repressive thing over people who, do, who really want this out of their lives. That's what yes, you're saying. There is a, a simultaneously different types of revolution in Iran. One of them is protests. The other one's a woman against the hijab. Right now, is going on, yeah. and then it's called it's called White Wednesday. People take off their hijab, take a video, and send it out. The world can see they're living under the force of wearing. Iranians do not want to force hijab. They're not even allowed to go to stadiums. They're not allowed to watch basketball, volleyball, football, soccer at all. You mean the citizens are prevented by the government from government. watching? Nothing, okay. nothing. Okay, I got to go. This is interesting. We only have a couple of minutes left here, but I 
mentioned to you before we started that there was a, a recent show I did where I interviewed a, a, a national security expert uh, who was talking about, well, we, you know, now that we know that Iran cheated on this deal and you know, how can America help the Iranians? She had all these ideas I wanted to share with you. Actually, let me just ask you, we're not going to invade. We Americans are not going to invade Iran and, and remove the mullahs. But like in one minute, what can America do to help the Iranian citizens who want freedom from the mullahs? We don't need to put one single soldier on the ground in Iran. Actually, that's a bad idea. Never attack Iran. At this point, Iranian people are so educated. We have 50 millions of Iranians on the ground ready to do to go ahead and overthrow this regime. This regime is about to vanished. All we need to do is support Iranians morally. Whatever we can do, uh, come up with, and I think more than anything else, they need free Wi-Fi and internet. To, so given That's just the most important thing at the moment. Yeah, that was one suggestion she had, is that I guess the Iranian government blocks that Wi-Fi so people have a hard time. It's just communicating. You can imagine you're still wanting freedom and you're still wanting Christianity in a country where you're repressed like that. But her ideas were, uh, and I'll just, you can quick say yes or no, good idea. She was saying, maybe just provide them a, a single protected band from a, a U.S. satellite that just gives them... That'd be them- fantastic. Okay, what about outspoken statements by our leaders, Congress, uh, Absolutely. I think, I think uh, Ted Cruz has been extremely vocal, and I'm very proud of him. He's our senator. He has been very outspoken about that. And then uh, Prince Rizal Pahlavi is ex- another person who lives in Washington. He's been extremely active, and I'm hoping that he will be the person that will lead Iran to secularism, to you know, freedom, and and, and then— Freedom from the mullahs. Okay, I got to tell you, we need to go off to our our top of the hour break. But Emil Amani, thank you for coming in. I'll make one last pitch, friends. Go to American Thinker. Put in Emil Amani's name. You not believe the number of articles he's written. You will just be instantly educated about Islam. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much for having me.